Chapter 6. Form Deep Relationships Some of my best friends have been people I never would have expected. We didn't always share the same hobbies, the same interests, or even the same personality. Rarely did we live together at any point in time, and most of my best friends now live in other cities. Each one was special for a different reason, and was important in shaping who I am as a person today. I've had many amazing friendships over the years, but there's one that sticks out. The closest of these, the best man at my wedding, is someone I will be friends with for life. Julio became a Christian in my campus ministry, and right off the bat we started spending time together. Initially, our friendship started out as a kind of disciple boot camp. Since I had been a Christian for a while, speaking relatively, I think I was four years old spiritually at that point, I took it upon myself to teach Julio everything I knew about following Jesus. We would pray together, study the Bible together, share our faith together, and dream about what we wanted to see God do in our ministry. All of this laid the groundwork for a moment that solidified our friendship. There was one day in particular where I had just crashed hard into some sin and I needed someone to talk to. We were living together at this point, but he was neck deep in a chemical engineering assignment. I considered wallowing in my own sorrow, not wanting to distract him from what I assumed was incredibly important, but I really needed someone to talk to. I mustered up the courage and knocked on his bedroom door. Without hesitation, Julio put down what he was working on and gave me his undivided attention. We ended up talking for several hours, and I knew that from that moment on, our friendship would never be the same. Since that night, even when separated by several states, we've been best friends. To this day, when one of us picks up the phone and calls, before long it feels like we've gone back in time and are roommates again in that apartment on Martin Avenue. It's guys like Julio that have kept me faithful all these years, and it's relationships like this that God desires for you to have in your small group. Relationships Built to Last Relationships form the foundation of our lives as Christians. Our personal relationship with God, our relationships with our brothers and sisters, and our relationships with the people we hope to lead to Christ one day, to name a few, are all foundational relationships. It's these relationships that provide each of us the support we need to stay the course and run our race with perseverance. Authentic relationships, where you can be yourself and feel completely safe, are a critical component of your small group. If you can unlock these kinds of friendships within your small group, you'll be able to foster the lifelong relationships every person craves. You'll look back at this small group fondly, knowing that some of your best friends were found at this time. Friends that will stick with you for your entire life. This is what's possible when you help the members of your small group develop deep, authentic relationships with one another. But it's not just about making best friends for the future. Being grounded in these types of relationships will be an anchor for you when life gets tough. Nowhere does God promise that Christians are immune from trials and difficult circumstances. In fact, he says just the opposite. He does give us the means to endure and persevere by supplying us with the relationships you can only find inside the church. There's more at stake than just making friends, though. If you are unable To foster these relationships in your small group, people won't go beyond surface-level acquaintances. 
your group will feel like every other social circle you happen to be in, where you aren't free to be yourself, and you aren't sure who you can really rely on. It would be a shame to pour all of your energy into creating a small group and miss this crucial detail. You may be tempted to think that all you need to do is build it and they will come. That as long as you put together engaging discussions and serve the right food, people will grow relationally and spiritually. Now you might stumble onto some luck, but if you want to help every single person make lasting connections, you'll need to be intentional about how you grow closer together. Three layers of relationships. You may remember us talking about this in the previous chapter, where we talked about the outer two circles of our relationship target. This chapter will focus on the bullseye, how to develop meaningful one-on-one relationships with other disciples. But before you can ever call someone your best friend, you'll need to clear a couple hurdles. Familiarity and trust. The first step to develop an authentic relationship with someone is to build familiarity and trust. It goes without saying, but if you don't know them and you can't trust them, chances are slim that they're going to become your best friend. There are three strategies you can implement to speed up the learning curve and go from acquaintances to good friends quickly. Experience life together. Follow me. Those were the words uttered to each of Jesus' apostles when he asked them to be a part of his ministry. Follow me. Spend time with me. Learn from me. Grow closer to me. Leave your nets and follow me. Leave your tax-collecting business and follow me. To Jesus, this wasn't just an employment opportunity. This was about living life together. You can't grow close to someone you never spend time with. Think about the family members you are closest to. Chances are, you saw them at family reunions, Thanksgiving meals, and Christmas dinners. Am I right? Now, think about the cousins you know about but haven't spent 15 minutes with. How close are you to them? I'm guessing, not very close at all. Spending time with the people in your small group you want to get closer to can't be limited to your weekly gatherings. Grab lunch after church. Meet up at a coffee shop after work. Go to the movies together or go on vacation together. The more experiences that you share, the more time you're able to spend together, the closer you'll be. And the more you spend time with someone, the easier it is to trust them. A note for all the super busy people out there who are feeling overwhelmed by the idea of adding one more thing to your already stuffed calendar. There's nothing that says these activities have to be previously unplanned. Coordinate your grocery shopping. Sign your kids up for the same soccer team. Do your homework together. Interweave the people you want to develop a friendship with into the things you already have planned, so you're not trading your sanity to become close with someone. Be consistent. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Acts 2 verse 44. In the last chapter, we touched on this passage in the book of Acts and discussed the need to be in constant communication with each other. Well, this goes double for someone you're trying to grow closer to. While it's probably not practical for you to see each other every day, you'll need to be purposeful in pursuing the relationship. Best friends don't happen by accident. They take effort and intent. Make a point to spend time together consistently 
whether that's weekly, every other day, or some other rhythm. The goal is not necessarily how often you meet. The goal is consistency. If you've ever decided to lose weight, you'll know how important consistency is to achieve lasting results. Every January, millions of Americans sign up at their local gym with the ambition that this will be the year they finally get into shape. For the first few weeks, the gym is absolutely packed, full of all kinds of people. But as weeks turn into months and winter turns to spring, the gym starts to thin back out again. Those ambitious individuals wanted to see results, but since lasting results require that you show up day after day and week after week, they weren't able to succeed. They wanted the results without putting in the consistent effort needed to make it happen. Rome was not built in a day, or so they say. Building worthwhile relationships takes consistent effort over time. Be vulnerable. As you spend more time together, you'll need to become more and more vulnerable with them. You don't need to pull all of the skeletons out of your closet at once. That might overwhelm them. Instead, you want to start small and work your way up to the big stuff. Being vulnerable does not come naturally for most people. I'll admit, I'm not one of those people. I can sit down with just about anyone and get very open very quickly. If you find being vulnerable difficult, then it's not wise to jump in all at once. Slowly break down your barriers, take off the masks you put on for protection one by one, and slowly open up to the other person. Start by sharing one thing with them that not many people know about you. If they are a person of noble character, they won't go blabbing about it to everyone they see. Once they've demonstrated that they can be trusted with the little stuff, you can feel good about trusting them with more. Continue to offer up more and more, and over time you'll build the confidence you need to trust them with the big stuff. Things like what your real struggles are, how you're actually doing when they ask you at church, not just fine, and doubts you have about God and your life that you don't like to make known. What's really amazing about vulnerability and transparency is that the more open you are with someone, the closer they will feel to you. When someone confesses something to you, you understand the responsibility you have to be trustworthy with that information. They've made a decision to take a leap of faith and let you inside, and you don't want to take advantage of that trust by betraying their confidence. Well, this is how the other person feels when you are willing to confide in them. Not only that, but when someone is genuinely open with you, it inspires you to be open right back. If they are vulnerable with you, you feel more confident to be vulnerable in return. I'm convinced that transparency and authenticity are superpowers God gave us to become instantly closer with the people around us. Use them to your advantage and gain a new best friend in the process. As you experience life together, and as you spend consistent time together, being vulnerable with someone is the final piece of the puzzle to move from acquaintance to friend. But we don't just want to settle for friends. We're trying to crack the code on best friends forever. That's why, once you have this foundation laid in your relationship, you need to move on to stage two. Call each other higher. True friends are forged in the fire of conflict. This doesn't have to be physical conflict, though if you've ever spent time with young boys, you might think otherwise. Being willing to say the truth, even when it's uncomfortable, that's what we're talking about.
In order for you and your new best friend to help each other grow spiritually, you have to be able to call each other higher. I don't know a single Christian who would say they are perfect, that they have no room to grow. But it's not easy to be confronted about your shortcomings. While you may be tempted to forego this aspect of your relationship, I would urge you to reconsider. One of the benefits of having a best friend who is looking out for you is that they can identify your blind spots, the areas in your life that need work that you don't even know exist. I spent the summer after my junior year of college working for a church in Columbia, South Carolina. There were eight of us all together that were interning, and our job was to be out on the college campus setting up Bible studies with non-Christians. At the time, I felt pretty confident that I was the most qualified person and that I should be the de facto leader of the group. After all, I had spent the previous two years building a campus ministry at my own college without the aid of a full-time minister, something no one else could say about themselves. While this may sound innocent enough, beneath this attitude was an evil lurking hidden and out of sight, the sin of pride and self-righteousness which I had failed to notice, was about to rear its ugly head to the detriment of everyone around me. I was short with people, I was bossy, and I hardly ever admitted when I made a mistake. While it's bad enough that I was a poor excuse for a leader, the scarier part of all this was that I had no idea what was going on. I couldn't see my pride infecting my relationships because I was blind to it. At the end of the summer, Having failed to help anyone become a Christian, the campus minister sat down with me for a final conversation before I packed my bags and headed home. He told me about an instance he witnessed where I was being particularly bossy and asked if I thought I was a prideful person. To be honest, I had never considered that I had issues with pride. I always assumed it was confidence. But after having that conversation, I knew he was right. I had a problem with arrogance and I needed someone I trusted to point it out to me. I will be forever indebted to him for having that conversation with me and saving me from a lifetime of misery. Being able to call each other out on your shortcomings is the ultimate test of a strong friendship. This proverb says it more perfectly than I ever could. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Proverbs 27 verse 6. Your best friends will be the ones that wound you, that cause you discomfort. Don't run from it. Embrace it. Those are the friends that will stick with you through thick and thin. Let's dive into some strategies that will help you build lifelong best friends. Seasoned with salt. When you're ready to take your relationship deeper, one way to do that is to engage in high-quality conversations. It takes very little trust to talk to someone about the outcome of a sporting event, your job, or the absolute worst, the weather. Small talk is easy because there's little chance of getting a negative reaction or feeling like an idiot. The magic is found in the high-quality conversations you can only have with people you trust. In the ancient world, salt was a highly valuable preservative. They didn't have refrigerators and deep freezers so salt was needed to keep food from spoiling. Paul instructs the Colossians to let their speech be seasoned with salt. Colossians 4 verse 6. It should come as no surprise that how we talk to each other plays a big role in keeping us close to God. 
When you're having a conversation with your future best friend, talk about the things that truly matter to you, what you're passionate about and what you feel deeply about. Talk about life. Talk about God. Talk about your struggles, your dreams, and your fears. The more you can have conversations about what matters most to you, the closer you will become to the person you are investing in. Commitment to openness. As you reveal more and more of yourself to this person, you have to stay committed to openness. At this point, you've moved past the small stuff and you're getting into the heavy hitters area. In order for your relationship to take the next step, you have to be completely transparent. In other words, there's no question off limits. What about that sin? I don't want anyone to know about it. Yep, gotta tell them. What about that secret I've been keeping from my spouse? Yeah. What about my deepest, darkest fears? Those two. What may seem terrifying at first is one of the most freeing things you'll ever experience. The first time you do this, you'll feel like you're going to die. I mean, I'm just being honest. But don't worry, you won't. But when you can open up and tell them the whole truth, you'll forge bonds deeper than anything you've experienced before. You'll have a friend that you can tell anything to without fear or hesitation and know that they are going to be there for you. They are always in your corner. A commitment to openness will lead to your own personal spiritual growth as well. When this person asks you a serious question with high stakes, you won't feel offended and you won't get defensive. You can answer it to the best of your abilities because you know they have your best interest in mind. In the moment, it might feel like you're under attack, but you've built a track record of trust to help you. So stay engaged and let the conversation play out. This person wants to help you be more like Jesus so that one day you two can be in heaven together. Letting them in to see your blind spots and being completely transparent will give you the humility and receive the objective feedback you need to finish your race and make it to the end. Honesty over comfortability. No one enjoys having difficult conversations, especially when it feels like the subject matter will lead to the end of the relationship. But you need close friends that can tell you the truth, even when you don't want to hear it. And you need to be that person for them. King David had one of those people in his corner, someone he trusted and someone who was willing to tell him what he needed to hear. Let's set the stage for David's interaction with Nathan the prophet. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. When David sent messengers to her, she came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. Second Samuel 11, verses 1-5 through After David commits adultery, he summons Bathsheba's husband from the front lines to try and cover up the pregnancy. 
Uriah, a righteous man, does not cooperate the way David hopes he would. Feeling desperate, David instructs his commander Joab to place Uriah in a precarious position on the battlefield so that he dies at the hands of the enemy. If you're thinking, it's not good for the king of Israel to be covering up secret sins, namely adultery and murder, you'd be right. But God wouldn't let it stay a secret for long. Enter Nathan. Nathan tells David the story of a rich man who stole a lamb from a poor man rather than eat one of his own. David has a predictably strong reaction to the story. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. 2 Samuel 12, verse 5 and 6. But then Nathan does the unexpected and turns the tables on David. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what was evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. 2 Samuel 12, verses 7 through 10. David needed a wake-up call, and Nathan was willing to give it to him. This wasn't easy for Nathan. It wouldn't have been comfortable, but it was necessary. Nathan and God cared too much to let David continue down his self-destructive path. We need Nathans in our life to tell us what we need to hear. We need people that can give it to us straight, not sugarcoat it, and lay us out. It's not comfortable, but it's necessary if your ultimate goal is heaven. Seek out honest conversations, and you will build the kind of relationship that will go the distance. Foster Deep Relationships How can you foster and encourage these relationships in your small group? It does you no good if you have a best friend you can be gut-level honest with, but no one else in your group does. For starters, make time for fellowship at your small group meetings and events. Whether it's your weekly discussion, a community service project, or a potluck meal that you've planned, make time for people to have conversations with each other. You can take advantage of the time that you've already planned to be together to help foster those relationships. Teach the strategies we covered in this chapter as a discussion series. You want everyone in your group to be familiar with these strategies and understand the importance of them in their own life. Once everyone understands what they need to do, they'll be able to find that best friend they didn't know they were missing. Form smaller groups. That's right. Take your small group and make it smaller. When you get into groups of two to three people, it allows you to call each other higher without feeling like you're on trial. Make the groups gender-specific and encourage them to actively implement the strategies from this chapter. Follow up periodically to see how these groups are going and make any corrections needed to keep them on track. As the leader, it is your job to provide the framework that will set your group up for success. It is not, however, 
your job to force people to comply. You can't force people to develop deep relationships, but you can persuade them to make the effort. Explain the benefits of having these kinds of relationships and answer any objections they might have. This may not be a hard sell, but if anyone in your group has been burned before, they might need some extra encouragement. Be patient and work with them until they are ready to jump in head first. Take the next step. Decide how you want to start introducing these principles in your small group. Use the lesson template we covered earlier to put together a discussion series on relationships. Plan time in your meetings for fellowship and form your groups of two or three. Imagine how it will feel when you're part of a small group that has these kinds of relationships sprinkled throughout. People will be more open with each other. People will be calling each other higher and they'll help each other continue to grow and become more like Jesus. Imagine how you will feel when you have one or two people that know everything about you, friends that you feel completely safe with, and know that no matter what happens, they all have your back. This is what God desires for our relationships to look like, and when you implement what you've learned in this chapter, you'll be one step closer to experiencing it for yourself.